Welcome back. <laughs> I'm Bryn. I'm Kelsey. And we're here today talking about another crazy case. We're actually, um, we'll get into that in a little bit, but we'll start off with our coffee review as always. Um, today we are reviewing Java Love. And this is actually really special because they sent us coffee. This is our first... <laughs> yeah place yeah that sent us some coffee to try which first of all how amazing is that that they like were willing to do that yeah i know that just it literally when made we're me so, so new, happy when we're so new too yeah. like um it's just, I'm, I'm just so happy about i that. know this coffee is actually freaking badass <laughs> and it's really called, literally yeah literally it's called badass brew which yeah. like as soon as we got it we were like Oh my god! They know us! Yeah. We were like freaking out that they even sent us anything, and then we're like, and it's called Badass! <laughs> yeah. Um, even though really their labeling on their bags were so cute. I know. Like, it's like stamped. I love that. I love everything about it. It's, yeah. It's just everything about their website and like their store and how they run it. It just seems amazing. I know. I'm so glad we reached out to them. Me too. Yeah. Um, so they're in Montclair, New Jersey, and if you're, like, in the area, you should definitely stop by there because Montclair, I mean, even besides just trying their coffee, like, Montclair mm-hmm. is, like, foot-friendly and it's it's just a really cool and fun town to walk around. There's, like, mm-hmm. shopping and, like, it's just so cute there. Yeah. So, again, their name is Java Love. Stop in and see them in Montclair. Yeah. Um. So... Do you want do we want to talk about the coffee itself first yeah. or just about their company first? We could talk about the coffee that we got. Like we said, we got the badass brew. It was delicious. It's a dark roast. So good. Mm-hmm. Like so good. Like I think I'm gonna have to order more from them. Yeah, I'll read you what it says on the label just to give you a hint of what it's in it, what's in it. But it's a perfect balance of bold and earthy with bright sweet tones. Mm. Mm. Delish. And it's like cocoa flavored. And it's literally amazing. Yeah. I mean, I put the hazelnut creamer as always. I switched it up today and I did, what was it? Cafe Mocha. Cafe Mocha. So it's a little chocolatey, honestly, with like the hints of cocoa in the coffee. It tastes like, kind of like a hot chocolate. Yeah. It's amazing. Mine doesn't taste as much like hot chocolate, but I could still definitely taste like the cocoa undertone. Yeah. And, and it's not, like, it's bold. Like, it's not, like, watery. It's not, like... Yeah, it's definitely, it definitely, like, it tastes like a good freaking coffee. Yeah, not your typical, uh, you know. gas station <laughs> coffee. You know. <laughs> but it's really good. No, um, Java Love, we love you a lot. Yeah. Oh, actually, I'm looking at it now. They have a few other locations. Looks like there's one in Upper Montclair, Montclair Center, and then um, Suffering, New York, and Sullivan Catskills, New York. So they have a lot. Um, Yeah, the Montclair Center is the one that I've been to before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just some more about their business. I mean, not only is their coffee really good, but they're also a very sustainable company. They actually have, um, they're fair trade certified, and they have uh, association with the Rainforest Alliance. Love it. Yeah. And a lot more, actually, if you want to go on their website and check it out. They're a very sustainable company, which we love to hear. It says on their website here that um, they only get beans that were sourced through treating their farmers with respect and integrity. Ugh. Which, like, how amazing is that? Not, not many businesses care about the people 
through the whole like process. Yeah. yeah, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Now I love them even more. Me too. Um, you can also follow them on Instagram at do you Java love d o y o u Java love. Yep, and we'll tag them in our post for this episode. Yeah, so. as soon as this episode comes out, we're gonna like do all that fun stuff. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. uh, should Anything we get else started? about the coffee? I, I mean, it. besides, it's freaking amazing. Yeah, thank you, Java Love. <laughs> thank you. You're our first, like, supporter in the coffee world. <laughs> yeah, you're amazing. We are so happy. Yes. Um, so grab your coffee and have a morning with us. So today's episode, we're going to be talking about the Church of the Firstborn of the Lamb of God, which is a cult, a.k.a. it's also known as um, Ervil LeBaron. He's kind of the, the main player in this cult. I'm so excited. This is our first cult I know. episode. Hence the name, Crime, Cults, and Coffee. Ugh. But yeah, it's crazy. Um, forgive us if it's a little jumpy. It was all over the place. It kind of is. But that's just how this case goes. But it's really crazy. So I'm also going to throw it out there. Um, and I just did it. I'm watching my ums and likes. Same. <laughs> I'm trying. We're slapping each other on the wrist yes. while we saying it. Um, my fiance... Oh, I just did it again. Okay. Uh. My fiance actually said, you guys should buy shock collars, and when one of you doesn't shock the other one. No, Timo, no. (laughs) Oh, my God. Maybe we can borrow the dog shock collar. You'd randomly hear us going, (laughs) (laughs) We're not doing that. No. Okay, so I'm just going to start with a little background um, of what happened kind of before the well-known cult that uh, Irville was in charge of. So before the Lamb of God Church, it was the Church of Jesus Christ of the Latter-day Saints. Um, and they actually started because, or they, I'm sorry, they ended practicing polygamy in 1890. Um, some Mormons were actually still practicing polygamy and they were excommunicated from the Latter-day Saints Church. And that's when they moved to Mexico so they can continue to practice this cult. They split from all of this craziness when way back in the day. Right, this is just a bit of backstory. Yeah. So after they split from the Latter-day Saints, they then moved to Mexico so they can continue to practice um, polygamy. And Alma LeBaron Sr. was one of those people that actually moved to Mexico in 1924. And he, at the time, had two wives and eight children. And... In Mexico, they started a farm that they called Colonia LeBaron in Galenia, Chihuahua. Yeah, it's crazy. I don't know. Alma then died in 1951, and he left his leadership to his son, Joel LeBaron. And then he eventually named it the Church of the Firstborn of the Fullness of the Times. Say that three times fast. (laughs) Right? Like, who came up with these names? All these names are crazy. And, like, I mean, even... The one that it's about, like, it's I don't tough. know. It's just, there's a lot of words. <laughs> yeah. So, why not just be like, I mean, you can't be like cult, da yeah. da da but like, why not just be like LeBaron family? Right. LeBaron, the LeBarons. Crazy. So Joel named it that crazy na- long name I just said, and he moved the cult then to Salt Lake City, Utah. This was in 1955, right? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Joel's younger brother was Ervo LeBaron, and that's kind of who we're going to be talking about today. He assisted in being in charge. He was actually second command under his older brother, 
Um, and the church grew to around 30 families that lived in Utah in a community that they named Los Milanos. Is that how you say it? Molinos? Molinos? Mo- Molino. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, don't judge us for this one because there's obviously... <laughs> yeah, obviously, too, It there's a lot of Spanish, and yeah. we are not, like, experts at Spanish, and... Pay attention because there are a lot of names and a lot of people and a lot of strange names that I know I'm definitely going to mispronounce. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, so they moved to the the community that they named Los Molinos, and that was in on the Baja California Peninsula. So that's kind of the background of how the well-known Church of the Firstborn of the Lamb of God was created. Right, and I had also read that herbal had full authority over Colonia LeBaron. Oh, okay. So, like, his brother was running everything and, like, had the Los Molinos and stuff, but mm-hmm. Herbal was, like, basically... In charge of Yeah, that. in charge of that community. That makes sense. And their third brother, Verlon, also held a high position, but he wasn't, like... Yeah, he was, he was the was, youngest brother. Yeah, so he was, like, it was basically Joel... Then Erval, then Verlon. Yeah, all kind of running different parts of different sectors that they had. Yeah. But Verlon was the youngest. So I have in 1972, Joel and Erval split leadership of the Church of the Firstborn. Oh, I have a teeny bit before then. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. All right. So in 1967, um, the tension started rising between Erval and Joel. So they were basically arguing over different practices. Herbal wanted to, wanted the return of the former Mormon principal, Blood Atonement. And I know a lot of you are probably thinking, like, what the fuck is Blood Atonement? I didn't know until yeah. I got into this. So, Blood Atonement is, it basically says a sinner must have their blood shed to have a place in heaven. Mm-hmm. So, it's really a death penalty for crimes. Um, in Herbal's way, he... He is, he like, basically, that's giving him the right to put people to death for doing a crime. But yeah. this is, keep in mind, this is a, what he considers a crime. Yeah, he used it more as, like, a fear tactic for yeah. his followers to be like, you know, if you're going to leave, then this is blood atonement. That's your sins. Yeah. So, like, their beliefs basically were that, um, like, they were a god here mm-hmm. on earth. He was and, the prophet, yeah. Right, and you're, he is cleansing this earth of the sinners, yeah. in a way. Um, so Joel refused this practice of blood atonement, and Joel wanted Los Molinos, their second colony in Baja, California, to support future church recruits. So basically, he just wanted that, that like, sect mm-hmm. to be, like, um... Like, a home for, like, prospects that are coming in to yeah. their thing, cult, if you want to call it that. And then Erval wanted to make it into a resort. Oh, God. Yeah. Whatever I read that, that. Whatever that means. I read that somewhere. So, Erval began preaching against Joel and accusing him of crimes against their faith. Yeah. So then we jump into 1972, where you were starting. So 1972, Joel and Ervil actually split leadership of the Church of the Firstborn of Fullness of Times, and Ervil began the Church of the Firstborn of the Lamb of God. 
In San Diego. Yeah. So that was, like, the beginning of his cult. Right. And these were God's chosen people. Yeah. So, Ervil was considered one mighty and strong prophet prophet sent to earth to purify the Mormon faith. Which, I don't know who the fuck appointed him that, but I think it was himself. I think it was in his mind. Yeah. Uh, And some followers went with him. Daniel, Mm -hmm. Ben, Jordan, and the Chenoweth and Rios families were... Some of the people that went, right, like his first followers, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's actually known today, Ervil is known today by the media as the Mormon Manson. So if you're familiar familiar with the Manson cult, then... That'll put it in perspective for you. Uh, So then he ordered the murder of Joel in Mexico, and Joel was actually his first victim of blood atonement, which is, like, really sad. That's his fucking brother. brother. Yeah. He ordered him to die in, um, he wanted him, he was wanted for murders in Mexico and the United States after the fact, because he was, he ordered his brother to be killed. Right. The assassin was Daniel Ben Jordan, and he was arrested for murder, but released because witnesses were too afraid to testify against him. Oh, God. How fucked up is that? He comes into play later, so remember that name, yes. Dan Jordan. Dan Jordan. And then assassin, I'm going to fuck this name up, <laughs> Gamaliel, oh, Gamaliel, Rios was free. So, um, Joel's followers demanded Ervil's arrest, and that's when mm. you said he was convic- convicted in 1974 yep. for planning the murder. Yeah, but um, to no one's surprise, his conviction was overturned because of a technicality, is what it was said. But yeah, a lot think of it's people, a bribe. yeah, a lot of people <laughs> think they were that they were bribed to yeah. let him out or overturn the conviction, basically. Right. Um, and then this is just a little look forward. But about a decade after this, he also had tried to get his brother killed, which is his younger brother Verlon. Um, he had tried to get him killed, but he actually lived in Nicaragua at the time, and he wasn't home, so he he actually was saved by that. He wasn't home, he was in Nicaragua, and they didn't end up killing him. Yeah, this, I think, this was also in part because after Joel died, the Baja California church was passed to Verlon. Yeah. So I think that had something to do with it, because it seems like Ervil just wanted brain over, like, everything. Yeah. And, like, you guys will hear that later when we talk about how many lives were taken. Yeah. And a lot of it was, like, rivalry in the, like, like polygamous community. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. a lot of it had to do with rivalries. I think he just wanted control over everything. Yeah. So they raided the town of Los Molinos, and that's where he thought Verlon was living. Um, but like I said, Verlon was in Nicaragua. So they just destroyed the town. Yeah, this for him. This was December twenty sixth, nineteen seventy four. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the people involved was his underage thirteenth wife, Raina Chenoweth, Chenoweth, and her brothers Mark and Dwayne Chenoweth. Mm-hmm. They threw firebombs at houses, shot at residents. Like you said, the town was destroyed. They mm-hmm. killed two young men and injured thirteen others. All to find his brother. Yeah. And Herbal was arrested, but again released because there was, like, a lack of evidence. Clearly, he, like, ordered these hits, but wasn't really involved in carrying out yeah. them. So. He just was a man behind the desk, basically. Yeah. And then, like. what to do. Right. And then, like we said, like, 
there's all these people, if there were witnesses, there were all these people afraid to testify against them because they're, like, obviously, like, they believe in blood atonement. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then, weirdly, I, well, the next part we're going to talk about is more of the murders that happen after, like, the beginning of his reign. But I actually found somewhere that said that his murder plots grew as time went on. Mm-hmm. And they actually started involving theatrical makeup and wigs. Shut the fuck up. To fucking kill people. <laughs> Shut up. Yeah. Could you imagine? Was it like the 2016 clown pandemic? Right? <laughs> Jersey. Right. But minus, like, murder. Yeah, like... I'm sorry I'm laughing. That's fucking weird. I know. They dressed people up, and that was how they lured people, I guess, to be murdered. And if that wait, didn't work... Wait, this is really odd. I just had a vision of, like, Rocky Horror Picture Show. Me people too! Coming, people coming. Dressed up like that and, like, yeah. coming to your door. But, like, trying to kill you, but they're dressed up. I don't and, get like, how that would... I guess, I mean, they were trying to disguise themselves. I don't fucking know. But that's that how, like, so the plots grew as time went on. Weird. Yeah. And then, if that didn't work, they had backup squads... To carry out another plan if the first plan didn't work. Oh my god. So yeah. in-depth. But he was not involved. Yeah. He well, didn't. didn't carry out shit. Yeah. So, also, Erbil's 10th wife, Vonda White, drove... Oh, wait. Sorry. Let, let me re- let me tell you who this woman is first. Mm-hmm. So, there's this woman named Naomi Zarate. I think I'm saying her name right. Mm-hmm. She was the wife of Bud Chenoweth, which was the fa- a father of two of Erbil's wives. This is, like... A very complicated inter intermix like intertwined family, very complicated family. Um, she was upset and threatened to leave and go to the police because of like the raid and all the stuff that was going on. So Ervil's tenth wife, Vonda White, drove Naomi to a desert and killed her. Yeah, her body was never found. Um, she also carried out several murders, including Dean Grover Vest, which we'll get to. Yeah, I have that in there. Yeah. But I start at April of 1975. Yep, that's what I have next. Yeah. Ervil ordered Bob Simmons, who was another polygamist um, who sought to minister the Native Americans at that time, he um, ordered to have that him killed. Yeah, this was in a... Uh, he was a minister in a small sect in Utah. Yeah. So that was, like, another, like, rival Yeah. to, like, I don't know. So we had him killed, which was terrible. He, I had also heard that Ervil wanted to marry one of Simmons' wives. Interesting. By the way, we'll talk about more of these later, but he had, at the time, Ervil had 13 wives and over 50 children. Yeah. Let that fucking sink in. <laughs> yeah. Like... I, I never would bash on, any, like, anyone's way of living. Like, if you're, if you believe in polygamy, okay. Like, I personally don't believe in that. But when it comes to entrapping your families, you, the family you're creating in a cult and making them do horrendous things. For blood atonement. Yeah, and you have 50 children involved in this and 13 wives involved in this and then, like, men also involved like that that's like that i am judging right yeah like that's like fucked up yeah um where were we so 
Oh, he, Erval would threaten rival polygamous leaders to switch allegiance, allegiance to the Church of the Lamb of God. Yeah, another one of those leaders was, um, in 1977, he ordered Rulan Allred, who is a leader of the Apostolic United Brethren, to be killed. So he saw him as a threat for one reason or another. Well, he was one of the largest polygamous sects. Yeah. So he obviously just wanted to fucking take over, like we yeah. said. He had also... Dean Grover Vest was one of Erville's followers and henchmen who was trying to leave. Mm-hmm. And Vonda White, the woman who killed the last woman, um, executed him in her kitchen. Yeah. She was later convicted, but Erville said this ensured her presence in heaven. Yeah. I'm sure it did. Yeah. Like... Can... Maybe you're getting it twisted, buddy. Maybe it's ensuring her place in hell. Yeah. Or whatever everyone believes in. Yeah. Like, ensuring her to, I don't know, be reincarnated as, like, a chicken who's getting its head cut off and it's next. Like, I don't know. Like, she's clearly... She's clearly making horrible... Yeah, and making horrible choices because of the influence he had over her and because... Like, these people also, they, they're growing up. This is all they know. Right. For, like, for example, with the guy that I just talked about, Rulon Allred, he was actually killed by Erville's 13th wife, Rena, and his stepdaughter, Ramona. So they were clearly brainwashed into thinking that they had to do this. Yeah, and Rena was 18 at that time. Yeah. Like, either you're growing up, and this is all you know, and you think it's normal, and, like, they looked at their dad as a god. Right. Like, and they thought, I actually read in, uh, or I heard this in one of the interviews of the, one of the children, that they felt that they were, because this is what they were told, that they were holy people, and that they were supposed to be prosecuted for their holiness, so they were, everybody hated them because they were holy people. Yeah, so he had their, them all twisted up, but even if, like, you're not falling into the bullshit Mm -hmm. of it right or not or you're like second guessing like maybe this isn't right um if you don't do what he fucking says you're gonna be blood atoned for it so like either you do it or you die yeah basically yeah and actually reyna confessed to the murder of uh all red in her memoir the blood covenant which was in 1990 um she confessed to his murder yeah. Which was crazy. And, um, this was also, they also had a part, the part of the plan to kill Verlon and draw him out of hiding. Mm-hmm. Did you hear what they did with that? No. They wanted to draw him out of hiding with Allred's funeral. So, because, remember how you had mentioned they tried to kill Verlon, but he yeah. actually was in Nicaragua. Uh-huh. Um... They were going to use Allred's funeral to draw him out. Oh, God. Yeah. So, three followers of Ervil attended the funeral to kill Verlon, but there were police stationed all around the funeral to protect mourners Mm. since he had such, like, a big sect. Yeah. So, like, they couldn't carry out that plan. Wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. It's freaking insane. Yeah. Um, so then... Do you want me to get into the death of Rebecca? I was, that's what I have next, yeah. Okay. So he also ordered, Erville also ordered the death of his 17-year-old daughter, Rebecca, which is 
god awful. I have the chills. Like, like, you're murdering your fucking child. Well, he's not doing the dirty yeah, work. Yeah, no, he's ordering, sorry, he's ordering yeah. someone to murder it's his disgusting. child. Um, and Rebecca was the wife of Mark Chenoweth. So, she was actually pregnant with her second child, mm-hmm. and she was separated from her toddler yeah. at that time, because he would separa- separate the mothers from their children. It reminds me of The Handmaid's Tale. Honestly. Watch The Handmaid's Tale if you haven't. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Yeah. Like, how they separate them from the babies. Like, mm-hmm. it reminds me so much of it. Um, and she obviously was getting, like, really worked up because she was separated from her kid. Yeah. And she threatened to go to the police and leave the group. So, in April 1977, Eddie Marston, which is Ervil's stepson, and Dwayne Chenoweth, which was Ervil's brother-in-law, mm-hmm. strangled her. Yeah. Um, her body was stuffed in the trunk of a car, and this is according to an article I read. Mm-hmm. I don't know how true it is. They said that Ervil drove this car around town that afternoon with her body in the trunk, and someone, like, a passerby had commented to him that his car looked like it was, like, riding low. And they said, he said, must be because of Rebecca. Like, because she was in the fucking trunk? Yeah. That literally makes me sick. Like, yeah. he didn't give a shit. No. Like, that, that he... shows how many shits he gave. Oh, that's disgusting. Like... Oh, must be because of Rebecca. Yeah, like, her body oh, my was dead never... seventeen-year-old daughter with a child in her. Yeah. Oh, must be because of her. Her body was never found. No. So How then, horrible for her mother. Yeah. Well, I mean, what happens next kind of shows how. Yeah. Like, go ahead. You can talk about that. So Rebecca's mother, Ervil's first wife, Delphina, discovered that like she was murdered, mm-hmm. and obviously was like opposed to it and upset that he murdered. her their frickin' daughter, yeah. and their pregnant daughter. I mean, if she gets murdered, you know who's involved if your dad is the freaking cult leader. Yeah. So she knew who it was. Yeah. And, like, this is his first wife, so she's been, al- she's been like, along for the ride since the fucking beginning. Yeah. So you would think he would, I mean, clearly this man didn't have respect or, like, give a shit about anyone or anything, but you think you'd kind of have a say if you were his first wife. Clearly not. Yeah. So, um, it's fucked up. uh, Delphina was all upset and her daughter Lillian, who was also married to Mark Chenoweth. So Lillian and her sister Rebecca were both married to the same man. That's fucking weird. Yeah. Um, Lillian warned her, like, mom, settle down, accept this. Because otherwise, like, you're going to be marked for blood atonement. Yeah. Like, basically, like, shut the fuck up. Yeah. Or you should be scared. Yeah, like, I don't want you to die type Mm -hmm. of thing. So then, um, Delphina and her youngest daughter ended up sneaking out of Lillian's house and they fled to Mexico. Yeah. Thank God they got away. I know. Yeah. That's just, it's just crazy how much fear these people had instilled in them. And, like, could you imagine being one of the people that tried to escape Something like this. I don't no. I don't think I'd have the balls to do it, honestly. I no. Don't. I was actually just talking, like, again, relating back to The Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. I was actually just talking to Timo about this this morning. Um, how in a situation like that, it, it must be so hard to find the strength to even, like... Like, I'm like... Because I, I was saying to him, I wonder either, A, how they're going to get out of this situation and turn this shit around. Yeah. Or, B... 
is this shit ever going to turn around? Yeah. And, like, I was like, oh, maybe, like, if the wives start stepping up a little, because I could already see, like, a shift in things. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, but who initiates that? Because what if June, yeah, what if the woman in this goes to the wife and and says this thinking the wife's open to it and then the wife's like, I'm fucking reporting you. You're dead immediately. Yeah, or what if the wife goes to her and says, like, I'm not okay with this anymore, but in your mind as that person, you're thinking, is she trying to trap me with this? Right. Like, like, how it's do you... It's the same situation. Like, right. Like, it's a cult. It's, it's just, I don't know. Right, and I was thinking, of, like, I was comparing now that with this because, like, how do you find the strength to run away, take your children with you? Like, by doing that, you're putting... Like, it's what's best for you and your children, but you're also putting your child's life and your yeah. life at risk. I don't think I could do it if I was in their yeah, shoes. Yeah, but then how do you, like, live like that? I don't know. Well, I actually heard somewhere, not that this makes it any better, but Ervil was never around. Like, a lot of his kids didn't even really know him. Yeah, actually, I was going to bring that up before that um, Anna, we talk, we're going to talk about her towards the end of the story. I think it's Anna. Or yeah. Anna. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his daughter. Um, she said she saw her father a handful of times. Yeah, I actually have a big section of her perspective on everything, which, listening to it now, she's, I think, 40, around 45 years old now, is, it's just crazy hearing yeah. her perspective on what happened when she was a teenager. But that's how much of a hold this man had on all of them. Yeah. Like, you see your father a handful of times, and you still are like, He's a fucking god. I need to do everything he says or I'm going to die. I think it's... The way she described it, too, is, like, it's all you know. You don't know yeah. any better. And they do such a good job at keeping you hidden from the world... Yeah. ...that you don't know that you're out of the ordinary. Right. I don't know. Well, that's, like... I mean... That's, like, anyone... Gro- like, anyone growing... This, this is an extreme case of it, but anyone growing up in a household... You do what you know. You mm-hmm. do, like, you... Unless you are able to find the strength to, like, stray away from something, like, you're going to, like, gr- think it's the norm or you're going... Until you, like, see otherwise. Or you're going to, like... Like, if you're in a cult community, like, either you're going to go along with it, you're going to think you're going along doing the right thing, mm-hmm. or you're going to go along with it because you don't want to die. Yeah. Like... Bad situation all yeah. around. Um, so, um, are we at June 1st, 1979, or do you have anything before that? That's where I'm at. Okay, you want to continue? Yeah. So, June 1st, 1979, Ervo LeBaron was apprehended by the Mexican police, and he was actually sent to the United States. Um, and in the United States, he was convicted of ordering Rulon Allred killed. Which, remember, um, he was one of the uh, other polygamists that he had killed earlier. So he's finally getting um, caught for that setup that he had a few years ago. Yeah, Raina Chenoweth and Ramona Marston also were apprehended for that, Mm -hmm. for their involvement, but they were acquitted. Yeah, which, I don't know how you feel about that, but... yeah. Um, so in 19, or, yeah, 1980, Ervil was sentenced to prison in the Utah State Prison in Draper, Utah. Uh, and then August 16th of 1981, which was a year later, he died of a heart attack. 
which I've read multiple different things, but I think the consensus is the heart attack is yeah. what he died of. Yeah. We read seizure, which, whatever. Um, seizure, suicide, heart attack, but I think all in all, the consensus was he died of a heart attack. Yeah, and I know that they had said heart attack on Murderpedia, which I think is a pretty yeah. reliable source, so, and the most of the articles we read had, like that, like you said, that was like the con- general consensus. Yeah, it was a heart attack. Yeah. Um, Even weirder, though. (laughs) It gets weirder. (laughs) It's weird. Verlon, which was Herbal's youngest brother, who he had tried to get killed multiple years ago. All those years. Yeah. He, uh, Verlon, died in a car accident in Mexico City two days after Herbal died. Which is fucking weird. I don't think he died in a car accident. No. Well, maybe it was a car accident, but, but it was a planned yeah. car accident. There's no fucking way. Yeah, actually, his grandson, um, Brent LeBaron, was in an interview for a magazine in 2012, and he said that him and some of his family actually believed that it was a setup and that it was definitely not a coincidence. No. Absolutely not. Two days as soon after, as you read that, you're like, okay. Like, yeah. like any of his followers could have been They would have been like, tempted to go. Yeah. <laughs> like, he tried killing you years yeah. ago. Yeah. Like, we must avenge him because he died. Let's yeah. finally kill Verlon. That's definitely what it was. There's yeah. no way it wasn't. Agreed. So, while... He was in prison, though, before he died, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, while he was in prison, Ervil continued to write testaments for followers. He wrote basically a 400-page, what they considered their a Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a manifest, basically. It was called the Book of New Covenants, and it contained a list of 50 people marked for blood atonement and a list of who should succeed Ervil as a leader, and he printed 20 copies. Yeah. Where the fuck did this man get a printer in prison? <laughs> oh my god. He's like, let me write my manifesto and print it. That's true. And print it I will. And then how did he send <laughs> how did he send it out? Maybe like someone came to visit and he's like, listen here. I'm we'll get blood this. atoned if yeah. you don't make twenty copies. Yeah, he probably did pass it along to someone. Yeah. Um, and then after, so after this was like distributed amongst his followers, and after Ervil died, his Son Arturo, Arturo, yeah, I should know how to pronounce it. Arturo, I think. Because it's yeah. Oh, well, no. Arturo LeBaron became the high priest, so he basically, like, took over. Yeah. And under Arturo, which was Ervil, like I said, his son, but it was also his first wife, Delfina's son, Mm -hmm. uh, shit went down. Yeah, so Dan Jordan, we mentioned him earlier. He was trying to become the next prophet at this time, even though that the leadership was basically passed down to Arturo. Um, and he, Dan Jordan, if you remember, he actually ran a Denver repair shop, and he was, like, one of the biggest sect leaders in that area in Denver. So he was in charge of, like, the Denver sect. Just a reminder of Dan, who J- Dan Jordan is, he was the one who murdered the first blood atonement victim. Yeah. Of this whole story, Joel, the brother Joel. Yeah, and considering he was the first one that killed for blood atonement, he was actually later murdered for blood atonement as well. Um, But after, you know, after this all went down, Mark kind of came forward, and he said that it was because, the reason he got killed was because Dan and Mark 
never followed through with Ervil's plan of breaking him out of prison with quote-unquote guns blazing. So that's why Dan was that's killed. That's their crime. Yeah. Fuck that. You yeah. can't do anything right. So after that, Mark was actually put on the hit list that um, Ervil wrote. Ervil wrote. Yeah. So um, I have a little bit more of shit that went down under Arturo's reign. Mm-hmm. Um, Ervil's wife, Lorna Chenoweth, decided to leave the cult, and Arturo ordered her son, Andrew, to kill her. Oh my god. So her son fucking killed her. <gasps> oh. Yeah. Could you so, imagine? So, it's very brief, but just awful. Uh, some of the group drifted away. Raina Chenoweth, Ervil's 13th wife, moved with her two small children, and then, like we said, um, I think you said Daniel mm-hmm. Jordan had moved his family to Utah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then their um, follower, Leo, I'm definitely going to fuck this <laughs> last name up. I'm so sorry. I'm going to spell it out for whoever has this last name. E-V-O-N-I-U-K. Evoniuk? Evoniuk? Yeah. I don't know. Leo. Yeah. Um, claimed he was given authority to lead the church. So Arturo and Leo argued for months over who was the leader, mm-hmm. finally agreeing to meet to resolve, like, their issues, and Arturo was murdered at the meeting. Yeah. So, they think this was most likely cult followers, oh my god, this is the name I said before, Gamaliel, Gamaliel, <laughs> Gamaliel. and, yeah, Gamaliel and Raul Rios. They think they were the ones who carried out the murder um, of Arturo at okay. this meeting. That makes sense. Yeah. Do you have any more to add in there, or do, are we after Arturo's death? Um, yeah, I was just going to go into the 4 o'clock. Okay, I have a little bit before that. Okay. Um, so, after Arturo's death, uh, the next son on the list to lead was 20-year-old Heber LeBaron, and the cult was made up of the living wives, minus, obviously, Delphina and Reina, both left. Mm-hmm. Um, so the cult was made up of the living wives, minus them, the children and stepchildren of Ervil at that point. Everyone yeah. else pretty much left, drifted away. Mm-hmm. Um, our, uh, Heber wanted to continue blood atonement, and over the years, the group members took revenge for Arturo's death. They killed Gamale- Gamaliel <laughs> and Raul Rios mm-hmm. because... They Arturo were, was Ar- killed yeah, Arturo by them. was killed by them. Mm-hmm. Um, they killed Gamaliel and Raul's two sisters that were married to Ervil. Mm. Um, oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, they didn't kill them. They mysteriously disappeared. Ah. Yeah. Mysteriously. Gamaliel and Raul's two, Raul's two sisters disappeared. And the reason that this happened was because Heber accused them of knowing about Arturo's murder in advance. So they were, so he was like, oh, you knew about this, so bye-byes. It's terrible. Yeah. Um, and then Leo Avin- Ivaniuk was killed, <laughs> was killed in 1987 by cult members. Um, and then Arturo, I mean, not Arturo, Heber did not preach much about religion, but he embraced the polygamy and used it to control his members, just like Ervil. Yeah. In 1983, he married two women from Guatemala, and he also married several half-sisters and stepsisters. 
This was a crazy time. Yeah. Like we said, look up the family tree on Wikipedia because we cannot explain that shit to you. Yeah. So basically after Ervil died, it was just like a fight for for, for who power. was going to be in charge yeah. as much as Ervil was. Right. So it was like just one after another leaders getting murdered by other people that thought they were the prophet. Yeah. And basically, I mean, people like all like there's like four people claiming to be the prophet. Yeah. A rational mind would think, how can all four of you have this revelation that you're the prophet? Like, that just doesn't make sense. Um, so, yeah, he also married these several, these sisters, stepsisters, and one of them was Patricia LeBaron, which she'll come Mm -hmm. into play, Mm -hmm. and there was word that he pimped out his sisters and wives, this is Heber, he pimped out his sisters and wives to cover their criminal activity that was going on in the cult. And to gain favor with Mexican politicians. Oh my god. How fucked up. It's like, I can't believe things like this happened. Like, I know. And happened. probably maybe still do. It's definitely still do. It's disgusting. Definitely still do. Yeah. Um, so just remember that Heber was kind of... It, we're at the point where Heber was in rule. And then he was killed too. Right. Uh, did you have this as well? With Heber and Aaron, it's one. Yeah, I have that later after the four o'clock. Okay. You can, you can. Okay. So in 1987, the group split in two. Heber took Ervil's wives and the teenage children to the U.S. And they started like an auto theft ring. Mm -hmm. And then Aaron, which is the younger brother of Heber and Arturo. um, He's the son of Ervil and Lorna Chenoweth. Aaron and the younger children stayed in Mexico. So basically, they like split into these two cults. Heber was running the U.S. one with the the wives and the older children. Yeah. Ervil, I mean not Ervil. Aaron was running the other one in Mexico with the younger kids, kind of. Yeah. And then in August 1987, Aaron took the children to Daniel Jordan's home. Dan, was he still in Utah at that point? I believe so. Okay, because I had a question mark. I wasn't sure. Um, Aaron took the children to Daniel Jordan's home, and he claimed to Daniel that he wanted uh, shelter and sanctuary from his family. What? Meanwhile, the whole rest of the family is already in the United States. Yeah. Like, clearly that was bogus. Yeah. And Daniel Jordan did not fully trust him, but he let them move in. That's good. Yeah. Two months later, Daniel took his wives and children and the LeBaron children. So, um, Aaron wasn't on this trip, Mm -hmm. on a camping trip, and he was shot and killed at the campground. So, I personally think one of the kids, he probably ordered one of the kids to do it. Yeah. Um, and one week later, after he was killed at this campground... Aaron was arrested because he pulled a gun on Jordan's wives and children and said um, he was given a revelation giving him authority over the family. Yeah. And I guess the wife was like, what the fuck? And, like, called the police. Which is crazy. That was 87? Yes. Yeah. And now we're on... That was August 1987. And Mm -hmm. now we're on to June 27th, 1988. So you want to talk about that? Yeah. So... This is known more to, I guess, media and other people that of as the four o'clock murders, and this was June twenty seventh, nineteen eighty eight again. 
So these murders took place on the 144th anniversary of the death of Joseph Smith, who was actually the founder of the Mormon church. Yeah. Which is insane. Like, they... I don't know if they, that was a coincidence or if it was planned. It was most likely planned. But... That's fucking weird. Yeah. So, the murders were of Dwayne Chinoweth. Am I saying that right? Yeah, I think it's Chinoweth. Chinoweth. I don't know. I'm just thinking of, like, Kristen Chinoweth, the okay. actress. But I looked it up. Do not go out. <laughs> like, she yeah. Her name is spelled completely different and yeah. everything. Like, she had no... No <laughs> relation. No, not at all. She's just a fucking funny human being. That's yeah. it. Yeah. So, Dwayne Chenoweth, who was one of Irville's former followers, was shot and killed, um, along with his eight-year-old daughter while they were out running errands. Yeah. Um, I read in an article, too, there's also a rumor that they were, they were lured to an empty house, but I don't mm. know if that's true, because I read in a bunch, like you said, running an errand, yeah. and his daughter's name was Jennifer. Yeah. Poor, I mean, eight years old that's with cool. her dad. She just was in the wrong place. Yeah. And then the other murder that happened was Eddie Martson, and he was Irville's stepson and actually one of his former thugs, and he was killed by being shot in Irving, Texas at the time. And then the last murder that was known as one of the four o'clock murders was Mark, um, can you say it again? Chenoweth. Chenoweth. <laughs> I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right. I'm saying it like, Whatever. yeah, it's Chenoweth. <laughs> and at the time, he was a father of six um, children, and he was shot in his home of Houston, in Houston, Texas. That's awful. Yeah, so at the time, Mark, if, uh, I don't know if we brought her up yet, but he's married to Lillian at that point in time. Okay. Um. And all three of these hits were carried out at exactly four o'clock, right? Yeah. That's why it's called the four o'clock murders. Um, I have, well, who they say killed who, if you want me to read that. So, Mark Chenoweth, I read was killed by Heber, so he actually mm. did something. Yeah. And his half-sister slash wife, Patricia. So that's where Patricia came back into play. Mm. Um, Dwayne and Jennifer were killed by a brother, Richard. I don't know whose brother. They didn't specify. They didn't mm. say Richard's last name. I'm not really sure about that. And then um, Eddie was killed... By Douglas Barlow. But there were other people involved as yeah. well because there's seven of them total. So I don't know who exactly was also with who. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Then I have, um, do you, I have 1997 next. Do you have anything before that? Um, I just have a little bit of information about the people who were involved and how they were arrested okay. or what they were charged with. So a few weeks later, Heber and, and four siblings were arrested in Arizona for auto theft. So, some of these four siblings were not involved in the four o'clock murders. They were just arrested for auto theft. Mm -hmm. Um, Aaron and two others were arrested in Chicago and charged with false identification paper. Whatever that is. I'm assuming false ID. Yeah. Um, So, seven seven killers were involved in the four o'clock murders, but five were found guilty. At first. Mm-hmm. Cynthia LeBaron testified against her siblings and was granted immunity. So that's one of the ones that wasn't found guilty. Which, um, like, how scary. <laughs> yeah, like, you go, girl, like, fucking stepping up and testifying. testifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Richard pled guilty to the charges and agreed to testify against his siblings. Wow. So I don't know if he 
was charged. He pled guilty, but I don't know. Probably cut some kind of right, deal. Right, yeah. Heber, Patricia, and Douglas Barlow were convicted. And then Jacqueline, Tarsa LeBaron, and Aaron LeBaron were indicted for helping to plan the murders, but both of them couldn't be found, which didn't really make sense to me because I read Aaron and two others were arrested in Chicago, so maybe Aaron got released mm-hmm. after and then they couldn't find him. I don't really yeah. know. That didn't really make sense to me. But the FBI thought Jacqueline for a while was in either Mexico or Belgium. They yeah. couldn't find her. And then she was captured May 2010. And then do you want to talk about... Yeah. Yeah. She was captured in 2010 and then December 14th, 2012, which is two years later, she was apparently released, um, which was months and months before her original sentence should have been out. Because she was involved in the 4 o'clock murders. Yeah, and she pled guilty June 16th, 2011. Yeah. So So she was released, like, a year later. She was in there. Yeah. Yeah. That's fucked up. She was on a run for 20 years. I think you said that. Um, And as of one of the articles I read, as of April 2013, uh, she is... Jacqueline LeBaron is... Her whereabouts are unknown. She's probably in hiding somewhere. Yeah. Which I don't blame her. Yeah. I mean, that's terrifying. Yeah. So after all of this, there was about an, an, there was like an estimation of around 25 people on, that were murdered on LeBaron's hit list, but over 50 people during his reign that he ordered. So like about half the time was when he was in power. Yeah. And then half, half of it was literally just because of the Bible he wrote and he, like, died and wasn't even around when it happened, which is and people so followed fucked it. up. Yeah. yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. It's so scary. Just to give you perspective, like I said, he had, Ervil had over 50 kids. He had 13 wives. Two of the wives were married at age 16. Two of the wives were killed due to cult demands, so he ordered them to be killed. Three were murdered for other reasons. Two were imprisoned and five escaped before 1992. Holy shit. And 13 of his 50 kids escaped before 1992 also. That Which, gives me the chills. I like, know. oh my god, how fucking terrifying. Like, not only do you have to have, like, the, like, courage to just, like, initially escape. Yeah. You have to have the courage to like, be in hiding and, like, like, be, like, looking around, like, All over the your shoulder every day. It's, like, someone that would need to be in witness protection, <sighs> but probably didn't have that option because no. of the cult. Holy fuck. It's crazy. So, um, after all of this, six of the younger children, well, not after, I should say, after, like, the hearings and stuff. Uh-huh. Um, so in 1988, around then, I think, six of the younger children, aged 12 to 18 years old, were placed in separate foster homes in Utah. So they said they wanted to place them in, like, separate homes to, like, um, basically, like, deprogram them and have, like, from this, like, cult life and have them be in, like, nice homes where they're all living separate lives and can, like, make their own lives for themselves separate of everything, basically. So, this is so fucked up. Yeah. All of the children disappeared from their foster homes on a single night at the end of September 1989. What's your theory on what happened to them? I mean, they were all in separate homes, and they all disappeared the same night. I have, like, a weird feeling that one of the higher-ups that still was 
believing all of this cult stuff. Yeah. Somehow organized. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there had to have been multiple people and multiple people involved for all of them to go missing yeah. at the same time. Yeah. yeah. And they had to have gotten the message to them somehow. Yeah. Or to each other. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know. or since the kids were between 12 and 18, there could have been the 18-year-old, an 18-year-old that was, like, heavily in this, mm-hmm. and, like, this is my life, I'm, like, this is, this it's is... too late. Yeah, or, like, just, like, fully believed in it, and somehow, but how would they have communicated with all the kids, and even, like, it would have had to been someone who knew where they were all placed, too, because that information is, like, not available, yeah. like... For them to know. Yeah. It's just weird. I feel like they knew someone on the inside, yeah. a higher up, and organized them to be taken from Yeah, there. all on the same night. Yeah. Because it didn't say where they were placed or anything, too. Like, there could have... They, they could have literally been one place in New York, one place in California, one place... Like, they could have been all spread out. Right. And then either cult members went and got them, or, yeah, the kids all... I mean... Somehow. The kids all organized it themselves and somehow left. Yeah. yeah, but we don't know about their whereabouts after that. Yeah. But many family members and ex-members of the Church of the Lamb of God remain or remained in hiding for fear of retru- retribu- ugh, retribution from followers. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk a little bit, a bit about this woman, Anna. Yeah. But she said bloodletting is finally at an end because she wouldn't have gone public with her book and, like, put her life in danger and her kids' lives and stuff in danger if it wasn't. Yeah. But then I had also read that there are people still in hiding, so I don't really know if... I think it's mixed. Like, some people are still fearful while others feel that it's completely done. Right. I mean, because living in that life for forever, no matter what, you're probably going to have some kind of fear. Yeah. You know? Yeah, Anna escaped the cult, actually, when she was 13 years old, and her published account of what happened is called The Polygamous Daughter, and that was released in 2017. So, at least in 2017, she felt that she was safe. Yeah. Um, so, but... this is this is our aftermath, but we're going to talk about... Do you have anything to add before we talk about, like, the happy, yeah. happy stuff? Yeah, so I want to talk about her perspective on things, because it literally blew my mind. And it's happy. Yeah. Okay. No. no. No? Okay. Before okay. the happy. Before the happy. Yeah. Okay, so we're still in the This is horrifying. Anna. She's a daughter. She escaped. So, she obviously didn't know that she was in a cult, let alone from escaping one. Like, she thought that this was her family. This is just normal. She's just like, I don't want to be part of this. It's fucked up. Yeah, that's kind of how she explained it. Her mom told her that she had to move back to Denver. 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 (laughs) She had to move back to Denver from Houston with her family. Um, And she didn't want to do this purely based on back in Denver They were using her as, like, slave labor, and they were using the kids there for 12-hour workdays with no pay. They didn't feed them. They forced them to, like, dumpster dive for food. That's so fucked up. Yeah. And where she was in Houston, the sect leader there was actually a lot better, and that was Daniel Jordan, I believe. He was a... Or, no, I'm sorry. Daniel Jordan was the sect leader in Denver, who she did not want to go back to. But in Houston, she was actually paid at least $5 a week. And that felt like a lot to them, she said. Like, it was insane how much it felt. That's disgusting. Like, they were being respected. 
Um, at that time, her sister Lillian and Lillian's husband Mark were in charge of the sector in Houston. So she called Lillian and said she really didn't want to go back to Denver. She explained why. And Lillian just said, quote unquote, start walking. And Lillian found her and hid her in a motel. Um, so her mom couldn't find her. I have the chills. Yeah. So her mom took her... And I'm sorry, but I fucking love Lillian. I know. Because she helped Anna, and she also helped Delfina when she was like, you need to calm down. Yeah. Like... Yeah. So her mom, like, obviously looked, but she didn't really look... Like, she, she went on anyway. Right. She took her and her siblings to Denver, and, um, Anna was left with Lillian in Houston, which is what she wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, she said she lived in constant fear when she was in the cult. She, everybody in the house were prepared, constantly prepared for FBI raids at any time of the night. She said there was people that were coming in and out of the house. They would move out of the house and go to a different house throughout the night. Like, like they are constantly on the move. Yeah. That's, like, so scary, though, that, like, she didn't realize she was in a cult. Yeah. But she, like, thought this was the norm for well, people. Well, she, I guess that this part was a little bit weird. She, they weren't, her and her siblings that lived in each house at whatever time weren't allowed to play outside mm-hmm. because it looked suspicious if they had 15 kids from one little normal house playing on the front yard. Yeah. So she was like, why can't I play outside? But then again, she went back to the, oh, we're being prosecuted for being holy. Yeah. Type of thing. Yeah, so Anna was 19 year old, nineteen years old when the 4 o'clock murders happened. And obviously at that time, Mark was one of the victims of the 4 o'clock murders, who was like a father to her at this point. Yeah, like the closest thing she yeah, had to Yeah, it was father. like her father figure, and Lillian was her, mo- her mother figure. So Mark died, and six months later, Lillian committed suicide because she couldn't, like, handle... That Mark was dead. Oh, Lillian. Yeah. So, she lost both her mother and her father figures after having some kind of good relationship with one. Anna was really depressed. She went through a big struggle with depression. Wait, Um, and didn't you mention to me about something with, um, Mark? Herbal wanted to do something with Mark and Anna? Yeah. So, Herbal actually used his daughters as pawns to get mar- to get men to marry them into the cult and to become hitmen for them. So the daughters were like 15, 16 years old when they were married off to different people so he could try to get people to join the cult. But it came out later that Mark... Um, I didn't write it down. Let me think. So it came out later that Lillian was talking to... Anna one day and that she was Anna was promised off to Mark to which be, is her father figure yeah, to be his wife and it was ordered by Ervil before he died that's fucking disgusting yeah but then Ervil put him on a hit list yeah oh my god um and actually during this time of her Lillian and Mark being like her parent figures they were monogamists and they were like one of the only couple that came out of it that I were. love Lillian I know Oh, God rest her soul. I know. And, like, it seems like, like, Mark had done some bad stuff, but it seems like he was actually, like, turning his life around, you right, know? Right, right. So that was what I had of her, but we can go to the happy ending. Happy endings! Not like that! <laughs> yeah. So I have first happy ending. 
Anna went to college and got married to her childhood sweetheart, Ugh. who is in, from Houston, and his name was David. And Aww. I think they have four kids now, maybe. But she she's living a good life now. Aww. Now, Anna, and, and like you said, she wrote her book, The Polygamist's Daughter. Mm-hmm. She's doing well for herself. Yeah. Um, I had read that Anna also says that many have gone on to be, and this is in quotes, it was a direct quote from her article, Anna says many of the, um, like, children and family members that were in the cult have gone on to be caring, kind, loving, productive members of society that just want good in the world. Oh, I'm gonna cry. (laughs) These poor people. So then we also have Estefania, mm-hmm. which we originally <laughs> wanted to base this whole case around because we had both seen the episode of Evil Lives Here with yeah. her, and that's how we, like, heard about this cult. Mm-hmm. Her episode, if you want to check it out, um, Evil Lives Here, it's through the ID channel. It was called Blood Atonement. Mm-hmm. Um, Estefania was one of Ervil's daughters. Um, she actually... Let me see. She grew up in Mexico, and she was forced into marriage twice at age 13. Yeah. So she had a really shitty start. Um, She uh, was 11 years old when, like, her sister was murdered. I think, I'm assuming Rebecca was, I think her Rebecca was her sister. Yeah. Um, And, like, she just, she went through a lot of shit. But, on the happy side... Um, she spent many younger years on the run, so she ended up leaving. 1996, one of her brothers helped her move to America, and she built a life here. She's modeling and acting. Uh, she has been in, and she's a director, she's been in Perils and Nude Modeling, which came out in 2003, The Alamo, which came out in Hmm. 2004, and The Red Queen, which came out in 2009. Hmm. And, I mean... She is a strong-ass woman because she was, like, just like Aunt, like Anna has her book and stuff. She, like, they got is out of on it. Evil Lives Here, like, speaking about this shit. Yeah. Like, on a national it. TV, like, a big TV show. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But that's a happy end. I think it's a happy ending overall for everyone who got out and have started, like, beautiful lives outside yeah. of that, you know? I agree. Yeah whole thing is just like terrible yeah but good things came of it at the end for some people yeah yeah they're very inspirational like Anna I mean that's just like everyone that has escaped yeah that's just like such a hard thing to go like to go through and um to like make it out and be still be like a level-headed person yeah. like I feel like I, I'd be locked in a str- like in a straight jacket somewhere if I went through something like that. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even kidding. Like, I, I don't know. Like, that is such, to have the strength to, like, make it through it and then to build a life outside of it. Like, yeah. that's, like, it's crazy. incredible. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah, Do you have anything it. else? No, I don't think so. Do you? No. That's our culty episode. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be doing more cults. Yeah, we just, we want to randomly mix them in there since, like, Obviously, there's there are a not, lot. Yeah, th- there are, there are a lot of information. Yeah, let us know if you want any cults. We all we actually have a request to do the Manson cult. Actually, and somebody... I want to do. I think you pronounce it Nixon. Nix. 
It's N-X-I-V-M. I think okay. that's what it is. I want to do that cult so bad. Okay. If you have any other requests, send them to us at Crime Cults and Coffee. And or you can email us yeah. at Crime Cults and Coffee um, at gmail.com. Yep. All right. See you next week. Woo, woo. Bye. regarding this case and our resources follow us at crime cults and coffee on instagram and facebook